Welcome to Shouts of Grace with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. At Shouts of Grace, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as a foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Today, Pastor Steve dives into the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 43 through 50, contrasting Judas and Peter, both who betrayed Jesus, but only one accepting the mercy and grace of God. Now, here's Pastor Steve. So I want to jump into this Mark chapter 14. While he, Jesus, was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and they seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching you and you didn't seize me, but let the scripture be fulfilled. And they all left him and they fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and he ran away naked. Verse 53, and they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests of the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and he made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Verse 66, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. 
And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. I want, I want to bring something else to your attention um, before we go on that will kind of help us piece all this together and show us what God is ultimately trying to say through this. When the other gospels record the betrayal of Jesus, all of them, you guys, say how the disciple who drew his sword, and one of them tells us that it was Peter, and cut off the ear of the servant's uh, high, uh, of, of the high priest's servant. All of them record that. All of them give an account. Only Luke tells us that Jesus healed the ear, probably because Luke's a doctor and that kind of stuff is important to doctors, right? And only John tells us, listen, the wounded servant's name. And so I want you to hold on to that because we're going to come back to that in a minute. This morning, you guys, what I want to do is in our time, I want to highlight two people and I want to pull out one life principle that you'll walk out here, walk out of here with today. In our narrative, folks, this morning, there are two betrayers. Make no mistake. There are two betrayers. Both of walked with Jesus for the same amount of time. Both were with him for approximately three years. Both of them sat in rooms and watched him heal people. Both of them watched him take authority over a demonic realm and cast out demons. Both of them heard the people heralding him, saying there's nobody like this. No one have we seen has authority like this, that even the demons obey his name. Both of them were exposed to the same teaching, and both, except for Peter, probably went a little further with James and John, but both saw Jesus and heard Jesus the same. One of them betrayed Jesus secretly with a kiss of worship to his lips and the other, or to his cheek, and the other did it openly with a cursing on his lips. Both betrayed him, and both of these guys hit their lowest point in life that night. The same both were sorry. Both were sorry. Matthew 27, 3 says this. When Judas saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and he brought back the pieces of silver saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Judas changed his mind. He saw the condemnation of Christ and he realized he had something to do with it. So he brings back, he tries to undo what he did. He changed his mind. He was sorry. Mark said in what we just read in verse 72, that when Peter denied Jesus and the rooster crowed, that Peter remembered Jesus telling him that he would betray him. And it says that he broke down and he wept bitterly. He was sorry. Both of them were sorry, yet it is said by Jesus of one of them that it would be better that Judas had never been born. And it was said of the other, when all this was over, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. One will go on to be a super apostle, if you will. He'll pen New Testament letters, and the other won't go on at all. His life will end. Folks, how do we make sense of this? What is it 
that's folded between the crevices of this story that makes it seem like God favored one and not the other, that one had a chance and the other didn't. You guys, without question, one of the most difficult things to understand about God is the grace that he gives to sinners and the mercy that he extends to the guilty. It is very difficult to understand that. For sure, it is what Romans 19, 15 says. When God says there, I will give mercy to whom I give mercy to and compassion to whom I give compassion to. It's my choice. I'm not going to have my methods and reasons put into a box by humanity. So if you think you do this, you get this response. Clearly, it's a very difficult thing to understand. Now, you and I have been programmed to think in certain terms, terms of cause and effect. If you do this, this is what happens, right? Or planting and harvesting. If you plant this, this is what you harvest. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. This is how you and I have been programmed. And so when a person comes to Christ, when they come to Jesus, they bring human programming into their understanding of God's character. And when, and when a person comes into Christ, what they quickly discover is they are met with something very different than what they ever thought. Very different. Psalm 103, verse 10, puts it this way. He, God, does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love or favor towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. People that come to Christ are expecting with this programming that God is like this, and what he's saying is, look, God doesn't repay you. He doesn't get back at you. Quite the opposite, to those who fear him, he removes you from, the, from your sin. He takes and separates it, right? As far as the east is from the west, never to meet again. This is God's work. And people have a hard time understanding this because grace gives to the sinner what they don't deserve, God's favor. Listen, because God's justice gave to Jesus what the sinner deserved, God's judgment. And that's a very difficult thing to come to understand. But I believe God wants people to be secure in this. God wants people to understand grace. 1 John 5, 12 says, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. God wants that truth to resonate with believers. Why? Because when you come to Christ, the first thing that happens, and many of you talk with the Lord long enough know this, the enemy goes after the foundation every time you sin. Well, the reason you sin is because you don't know God. Or the reason you sin is because you're truly not converted because if you were converted, you would never do the things you're doing. You would never think the things that you're thinking. What's wrong with you? The problem is you're a fake believer. That's why you're doing what you're doing. How many of you guys have ever heard that before? All of you who know the Lord. Because why? Because you're vulnerable at that moment. 
because you don't know the depth of grace. You've got a very one foot, two foot beneath the surface understanding of it. But here's what happens. You walk with God for a while, right? You, you're a believer and you're living for the Lord. And, and, and what you're finding is that, man, you know, as I'm living for God, I'm not what I thought I was. You're, you're having a very different view of grace because you're really strict about certain things and you're like, yes, and I'm not gonna do this or drink this or eat this and I'm not gonna watch this or listen to this and oh man, and, and, and you're, you're doing righteousness, which in and of itself is not bad, but here's what, well, here's what happens. One day you come to a collision with the reality that your conduct betrayed you. You see, as you get older in Christ, you learn what grace is. Grace isn't sloppy agape. Grace isn't, isn't something that a person takes advantage of. It's, it's not, it's not a, a, a salt and pepper shaker when you mess up. You, you take a little bit of grace and you sprinkle it on the offense so that you can go out with a clean conscience. Grace is a river. It's a river that a believer lives in and it's taken over by. It is the very thing that Zechariah said when they bring out the foundation of the temple, the foundation stone, they brought it out to shouts of grace, grace. The very foundation of what they would build would be built on the proclamation of grace. God would declare over a believer's life who becomes living stones in a living temple that everything that God builds in your life has to be built upon grace or it can't be built at all. If you build it on your conduct or you build it on your behavior, it won't be built because your conduct and behavior betrays you and God every day. Listen, the Bible define grace for you, and it does. We will not understand grace until we've been recipients of it. Draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in time of need. That's the invitation. You guys, the sinner's help in their time of need is found at the throne of grace, thus the invitation to come. When you're at your lowest, when you just watched what you shouldn't have watched, when you just said what you shouldn't have said, when you totally misrepresented God to that person or those people, when you got busted for something that everyone is looking at you now and going, how could that person even say that they're a Christian? It's at that time that you have your greatest need at your lowest point that the royal invitation says, come over here to this throne of grace. I'll separate you from, from, from the shame that you have. That's at the throne of grace. Now, the self-righteous will say, well, that's way too easy. For who? Not for him. Acts 20 says that God purchased the church with his own blood. That God purchased the church with his own blood. You see, guys, when our betrayal of Jesus hits its apex, one of two things will float to the surface inside of us. And each of those things will lead us to one of two places. What floats to the surface on the heels of our betrayal is always sorrow. But what kind of sorrow? What kind of sorrow did each of these two men have and where did their particular sorrow lead them? Second Corinthians chapter seven, Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthians about his first letter. He wrote him a first letter and it caused him a lot of sorrow and a lot of grief. So now he writes him a second letter. And in verse eight, he says this, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, 
though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same letter made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourself, what fear, what desire, what zeal. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that when we sin, you guys, that betrayal brings us a certain sorrow. It brings us one of two types of sorrow. When Peter heard the rooster crow in Mark 14, it says that he remembered Jesus telling him that he would deny him, so he broke down and he wept. If he remembered that conversation, then he also remembered his commitment to dying for Jesus because it was in the same conversation. Though everyone forsakes you, I will die with you. Well... Here we see him running away and denying him. And his weeping was that he came into a collision with the reality that he wasn't in all who he thought he was. When the soldiers arrived to arrest Jesus, Peter had the zeal. He had the zeal to follow through with it. I'm going to die for him. You got to go through me. You want to get to him? Immediately after this, you guys, Peter abandoned him. And he followed him from afar until the courtyard in the denial three times of even knowing him. To be sure, you guys, Peter was sorrowful. But what kind of sorrow? It was a godly sorrow. How do we know? Because it was a godly sorrow that led him to run to the empty tomb when he heard the women's report. He's alive. And he ran there. You guys, what must have he been thinking? I'm, I like to look between the lines because he wasn't an empty head, right? What must he been thinking as he was sprinting to the tomb? The last time I saw Jesus, I was denying him. Oh my gosh, is he going to be mad at me? Is he even going to accept me? Matthew 5, 17, think not that I've come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, every jot and tittle. Great, the law says stoner golden peace. Well, why aren't you listening to the law? Because there's a, later, a greater law in the New Testament, and it says mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He kept the greater law. The fact that he would run to the tomb as a betrayer, as a denier, that's a pretty bold and pretty confident approach, wouldn't you say? It's a pretty bold approach. You know, in the ancient times, if you were going to approach a throne of a king, he had to extend a scepter to you. You weren't allowed to just approach. He had to invite you to come. And when he did, then you were allowed to come. And why is Peter confidently running, not knowing, wondering, well, what's going to happen? Because God extended a scepter in grace, and the invitation was, come and get it. Come to this throne. You see, 
you guys, by running to the resurrected Christ, mercy and grace gave Peter hope beyond his betrayal. I'll say that again. By running to the empty tomb, to the resurrected Lord, to the living mercy seat inside the tomb as both angels faced one another. And there is a picture of Exodus 32 and the vacant tomb, the bodies missing. He was running to the mercy seat. He was running to the resurrected Christ. And anytime you do that, grace and mercy will give you hope beyond your betrayal. Every time. Paul said, godly sorrow produces repentance which leads to salvation. You guys, repentance always lets a person see past their betrayal of God. It always does, right? You, when, when, when you repent, that leads to the life and it leads to the salvation because you can see past the bars that God is merciful and gracious. And this is why Judas' sorrow was a worldly sorrow that Paul said produces death. You see, a worldly sorrow can't produce repentance. And without repentance, a person can't see past their betrayal. That's all they got. I can't believe I did this. Where there's no throne of grace, where there's no throne of grace to run to, there's no removal of sin. Because self-condemnation keeps you away from the cross. It makes you wallow in selfishness, thinking that somehow you could pay for your sin and the hurts you're feeling by just staying away and slapping yourself and loathing yourself. Oh my gosh, I'm so horrible. I'm so terrible. You know what it is? It's pride. The invitation from the throne of grace is come get forgiven. Self-condemnation, anything that keeps you away from the throne of grace isn't repentance. Believer, that's all you got. And so when you come there, invited by God, you'll find freedom. Otherwise, you'll end up just like Judas, living in a place where you can't see past what you did. So the only thing left to do is exactly what Paul said. The worldly sorrow produces death. You'll never get past it. You'll become depressed You'll get a deeper depression. It'll become darker because you'll think, man, I'm not worthy. Listen, you never were. But you don't understand. I, I did what the church told me to do, and I, and, and, and I took the list, and I did it. Yeah, but how's that working out for you? Because, brother, sister, when you get by yourself and you're alone, you're feeling the angst that you didn't measure up. How long you want to live like that? Listen, when God saves a person, he knows what they did, what they are doing, and what they forever will do. And so if he says yes to you, when you say, Lord, I want you, he's saying yes to all of you, even the worst parts, because he'll never leave you there. He'll transform you. He'll change you. You get lower and lower, and the grace of God becomes magnified, and you realize when you arrive, it was always him and only him. And when that happens, man, you'll be changed. Some of you need to stop insulting the spirit of grace by thinking that you can add one single thing to the one who said it is finished to tell us that the debt has been paid in full. 
God will only accept one work in regard to your salvation. It is the work of his son because it was a pure work, a holy work, a righteous work, the work of a perfected now offered to your account. All of salvation is by grace, both justification, sanctification, and glorification. It's all by grace. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace with Pastor Steve Pearson. We hope you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If you've been encouraged in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at shoutsofgraceradio.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah, and we invite you to attend our Sunday morning gatherings. For location, sermon times, and contact information, check us out at rhutah.church. Thank you again for joining us on today's show. And from all of us here at Shouts of Grace, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Shouts of Grace is a production of Key Radio.